You are listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. This is our midweek, a quiet life podcast that focuses on living a quiet life, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, and be dependent upon nobody. For more information, visit us at thepursuitofmanliness.com. Well, man, welcome to another quiet life podcast. We do these every Wednesday on the Pursuit of Manliness podcast to just really look at how we are living our lives. If we are um, aspiring to live a quiet life, minding our own affairs, working with our hands, becoming dependent upon nobody, uh, in many aspects, uh, maturing as a man, specifically as as a man of God. And for the the Wednesdays of the Quiet Life podcast in December, uh, we're taking a look at our house specifically our house, and we're talking about what Jesus does in our house, how he changes our our home, ultimately changing us. If you're married, hopefully changing your marriage, uh, changing your your parenting, those who come into your home. Are we we practicing hospitality? Are we we modeling uh, the fact that our home should be a Bethel, a house of God, a a place of prayer, a place where people feel loved, uh, valued, etc.? And that starts with us. It starts with us, men. And as we look at the gospel getting into our homes uh, this week and what it does when it's here and stays here, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home. He goes to Peter's house. Now he's at Matthew's house. He calls Matthew right at work right where he's working, just like he called Moses. You know, Moses is tending some flocks, and he said, all right, bush is burned up. Here's what here's what we're about to do. Um, Jesus called Peter, James, and John while they were, you know, carrying out their, their, their fishing business. They left everything and followed him. I mean, consider that for a moment. For some guys, listen, for some guys, if I said, hey, there's an opportunity for you to quit your job today and uh, have a new life, and, you know, you're, you're going to be influential in the world and make a difference when it comes to the kingdom. I mean, you would be gone before I ever got that whole sentence out of my mouth. You just said, or do I sign up? Quitting your job? No, not a problem. But there's there's some guys, their job is their identity. And not from necessarily just a provision standpoint, because I do believe it is it is absolutely essential that we are providers as men. But I mean, it is your identity. It's where you get your purpose. It's where you park your car. It's where you get your applause. Um, I mean, it, it it is your identity. And for some men, just the, the 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 sheer idea that you would have to leave that job, all the things you've worked for, earned for, or things that you're striving for to follow Jesus, like that that would be virtually impossible for you. You would be more like the rich young ruler. Uh, you would walk away sad because you love what you get from that place more than you would love serving Jesus. And serving Jesus can be a blast. Um, 
it is hard. It is tiring. It, and, and I'm not talking about just from a, a pulpit standpoint. I'm talking about just serving him, period. And if you guys that you know volunteer for ministries, you're highly involved in your churches, things of that nature, you know like it isn't all just you know hugs, high fives, and handshakes. Actually, rarely is it those things. So, um, you know, but here's, here's the problem. What we see in Matthew and Zacchaeus, for that matter, highly, highly successful in the world's eyes. Highly successful in the world's eyes, but essentially bankrupt when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. It, bankrupt when it came to, to their relationship with God. Uh, my kids and I were just having this conversation last night about celebrities and influencers or whatever they are who seemingly have everything. And my kids are like, man, you got people that cook your food. You got people that do this, that, that, that. And you find time and time again, they're absolutely miserable people. There's really nothing more for them to chase. And if they were to get any bad news, it just ruins them because they just don't know how to handle that. And so um, what they do, unfortunately, a lot of times they end up hurting themselves and hurting a lot of people, whether that's committing suicide or just you know having a complete fallout, becoming addicted to things or, or whatever. Um, you, you rarely, if ever, see one that's just stable, healthy, fully functioning and giving back to society. You just don't. So for just a moment, just consider the fully surrendered call to follow Jesus and allow him to be the author of your story. <clears throat> what if that happened? What if he said, it's not about my position, it's not about my title, it's not about the keys I have on my key ring, it's not about the seat I have at the table. I've said for some people, if you took, I got my keys here, if you took keys off a key ring for some people, it would ruin them. I got keys that go to different things here, different rooms. Uh, I don't like to carry keys. I got four. Four total keys on here. Um, if someone came up to me today and said, I'm going to need all those keys back. Uh, okay. Okay. For some people, that that I've seen that happen. I've actually seen that happen. To take a key back and say, hey, we're going to need a key to the building. We need your key to the room. We need your key to the office. We need your key. It, it, it just ruins them. They got so much identity from that. So Jesus says, come follow me. This is not necessarily an invitation, but more of a command. Follow me. And keep following me. Make this your way of life. Anticipate doing this for the rest of your life, Matthew. And so Matthew, reflecting that God initiates the contact with us, he reveals himself. To, if God didn't reveal himself to us, we would never know there's a God. Because the Bible's pretty clear that just in our human flesh, we will never seek after God. We would never worship him. We go after our things. As Proverbs 1 talks about, we, we, we covet all these things. We go at them with greed, only, real, only realizing when it's too late, those things are actually taking our life from us. Matthew has it all. He's got a great job like Zacchaeus. He probably works for a guy like Zacchaeus. Jesus says, follow me, and he arose and he, and he followed him. Matthew doesn't have a backup job. He doesn't put in his two weeks notice. Uh, he doesn't even go home and talk to his wife which I would recommend. He simply takes the first courageous step to change his life. And because Matthew did this, he changes the lives of many, many, countless other people. Again, maybe Jesus caught him on one of these days where Matthew's like, you know what? If another job come along, I'm taking it. I'm tired of being here. I'm sick of this job. I'm leaving this job. Maybe he started cleaning out his office. Suddenly he didn't, didn't tell anybody. Uh, maybe Matthew found him a season of life where he needed a new challenge. You ever been there? You're like, I'm so bored so bored I can do this job not even thinking about it uh, we've all had those feelings right I don't believe this has anything to do with employment I, th I think it has everything to do with obedience to the Messiah because even though he didn't completely realize who Jesus is or what he's doing here 
the command is enough to move Matthew from a chair that he will never return to. You see, that's what the gospel does. It takes the old and brings the new. For too many people, and, and, and listen, hand up, hand up. It's me. I'm one of these guys. I have been too guilty of trying to either hang on to some of the old or resurrect the old. It's gone. I saw a story the other day where somebody in another country, I don't remember what country it was, they brought out their grandma. What do you call that? Exhume? I don't know what it's called, but you take them out of the ground. And this stiff body that was decaying. I mean, I got to be honest, it... It looked more, if it was 10 years, it looked more like a person that I anticipated. They were putting clothes on the person, and I think they were going to march grandma around or something. I don't know. Still had hair on her head. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's what we do to our old self. We try to pull, 10 years later, I'm trying to pull the old self out of the ground. I'm going to dress it up. I'm going to make it look a little new, a little fresh. You're like, what are you doing? Jesus has to look at us and say, what are you doing? Leave what is dead with the dead. Walk in a brand new life. Don't try to resurrect the old. Don't go out to the Rubbermaid tubs. Don't go up to the attic. Don't go. Maybe you just need to throw that stuff away. That, that's not you. That person doesn't live there anymore. Stop reliving the glory days. Now, I will say this. Matthew throws quite a party. Who's at the party? A lot of people. Because he writes... Many. Now, this is Matthew writing this. Matthew, the guy who got up and left here, he doesn't call himself Levi. The other gospel writers reference him as Levi. Matthew gets up and he says, I threw a party. And who did I bring to the party? Tax collectors and sinners. Matthew, don't you know better? Don't you know that you're now around Jesus? He doesn't do that. He's like, that's all my friends. That's all I had. Misery loves company, right? And if you're going to brand us as tax collectors and sinners, and rightly so, some of them were obviously, because that's what he was, and sinners, probably prostitutes and other thieves and who knows what, we'll hang around together. Now, there are those guys who every once in a while make the Facebook post or they'll make a comment on this video, and a Jesus hung around tax collectors and sinners. Correct. That's not justifying you staying in that world, okay? The old is gone. We don't see Matthew staying in parties with tax collectors and sinners. What we see here, and it depends on how you want to look at this. I'm going to look at this like this. Matthew, I believe, had an inkling of who Jesus was. The command of Jesus to follow him is, is overwhelming, more overwhelming than a job, I promise. And so when he gets up for a new life, he says, guys, you want to come to my house for a charcuterie board we're gonna have some meat and cheese and uh drink some wine and hang out and uh, i want to introduce you to a new friend of mine you're gonna work for this guy yeah how much i have no idea i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm just i'm giving my whole life to follow him that's what i think happens i don't think it was a show and tell like let us tell you how bad we sin let us tell you the things we're caught up in let me tell you about the the perverse wicked circles we run in i don't think it was that i think it was matthew said this is this is my friend group jesus said we'll fix that it's not that those people don't matter. They do matter. But we also have to be kingdom-focused. Jesus never shies away from being kingdom-focused. And you say, well, I run in the circles of tax collectors and sinners type people. 
I run with the outcast. I run with the marginalized. I run with the people that I just sit on a pile of ashes with them and I just hear their story. At some point, you have to tell the gospel. You can be that guy who goes into these places. I know there's a, a ministry to ladies. Guys don't do this. It's ladies that do this. They go into like strip clubs and minister to women there. Uh, we have guys that go into other, uh, go into these dark places. And I and I, I agree. We need people to do that. We don't need men to do that. Okay, in, in, to those places. But we need we need people to do that. But you have to get on with the gospel. Be honest about what you're doing there. Am I just hanging around tax collectors and sinners? Because, let's be honest, sometimes it's more fun. Because Christians are boring sometimes. Or am I getting on with the gospel? Because at some point, you have to tell them the gospel. Jesus is going to make it clear, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but to sinners. He just called them all sinners. At what point do you call the people let's say in the bar, or wherever you're trying to justify, because there's a guy out there who's justifying wherever he's going, and that's fine. If God called you there, I'll never argue with that. But at what point do you say, do you realize that you are a sinner? At some point, we have to have that conversation. So Matthew draws quite a crowd, brings them all there. Who else is there? Religious people. Now, I don't think they're sitting at the table. These houses, I mean, Matthew's house would have been impressive. Maybe they're, maybe they're in a hallway Maybe they're in some kind of portico time. I don't know. But they're there, which I find quite interesting. And they start to grumble. Here they are around the perimeter. They said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's like you found out your kid's public school teacher is what they're doing on the weekends. Uh, by the way, you should know what your kids, all your kids' teachers are doing anyways. You need to know. But anyhow... So why is your teacher, why is your rabbi, why is your leader, why is this guy who's who we're uh, drawing great curiosity about, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? He doesn't say it to Jesus, does he? No. They say it to the disciples who are like, I'm not really sure he just told us to come here. Here's the crux of the conversation. Why is your teacher a friend of sinners? I'm so thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners because I wouldn't have a chance. I'm so thankful that Jesus is willing to go to a house of people who are sinners or he would never have got to my house. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <coughs> now, the Pharisees have their own perverted view of what a sinner is. It's certainly not them. It's anyone who doesn't obey their legalistic interpretations of the law we'd be careful that we're, we're not doing that right so while they discussed this with uh disciples jesus said those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick so again for the guy who says you know hey jesus went and ate with tax collectors prostitutes sinners blah, 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 blah. he just called him sick and he called him a sinner man if you can get on with that if if you can be honest with that that you can say Friend, it's it's not well with you. You're a sinner. You need forgiveness of your sins? Absolutely. It has been my experience that most of the time, those who have, have used that argument have used it to defend the fact that 
they just really want to do what they want to do. And if you say anything, you're being legalistic and you're, you know, some kind of archaic Christian. Okay, fair enough. But you have to get on with the gospel. If you're going to be like Jesus, be like Jesus. If you're going to live like Jesus, then live like Jesus. If you're going to talk like him, then talk like him. And so we have to, we have to get on with it. You can have him in your home. You can entertain him. You can play dominoes. You can play, you know, backgammon. I don't even know what that. I don't know how to come up with that name. You can play uh, badminton in the backyard. Whatever you do, whatever. Absolutely. But at some point, and it sounds like it's pretty quick here. Jesus says he came to those who are sick, and he also came to call the sinners. That was us, and that was you. So then we need to get on with the gospel here. And then Jesus says to this, to the religious people, listen, I've fallen in this category too. Go and learn what this means. That's an insult. That's what a teacher would say to their students as they're getting ready to leave the class. Now, I want you to go, I want you to do your homework. The Pharisees are like, we don't do homework. Do you know who we are? Do you know the levels of, of education that we have passed through? The people that have signed off on us to be where we're at right now? We don't go and learn. We already know. He says, no, you really don't. Because if you really did know, you would know that you are called to have mercy upon sinners. That's far more pleasing to God than whatever sacrifice or whatever pomp and circumstance you're going to pull off today. Mercy towards sinners, that's where it's at. And maybe that's what we need to do. We need to demonstrate more mercy towards sinners. What's the most merciful thing we can do? Help them get towards Jesus. Just help them see the love of Jesus. Help them know nothing will really change in our life, really deeply change in our life, until we get to Christ. He says, "You're from a ritualistic standpoint, you guys are completely bankrupt. you got nothing. The call that God puts on us is to be compassionate, to be merciful, which is something we see throughout the Old New Testament. Mercy is a God-like attribute. So consider that for a moment. Are there people that you need to be merciful towards? We're, we're posting these really close to Christmas, certainly in the month of December. Is there somebody in the month of December you need to be merciful towards? Because I, I don't always do that very well. I don't always demonstrate <clears throat> mercy well, especially when it's my time and energy and money and focus. I just I don't need another thing. I don't want another thing. We're talking about the gospel getting to your house. The old is gone. The new has come. God has shown you tremendous mercy, tremendous grace. I want you to consider, is there things in your life? Are there things in your life? Mental or physical, whatever, that you need to purge, that you're trying to resurrect from the dead, trying to bring it back. Are there things that you need to let go of, you need to get rid of? Matthew brought tax collectors and sinners to Jesus, and maybe you're going to be having some meals with some tax collectors and sinners the next couple, couple weeks over holiday meals. and stuff. I, you know, I don't know, but at some point, we want to help them get to Jesus. But from you personally, as we talk about us individually aspiring to live a quiet life, are there some things in your life you need to purge? Are there some yearbooks and pictures and letters and magazines and other items that you need to get rid of? You think you've hit them, but someone in your house knows they're there. 
you think, you know, it's not a big deal or you want to keep them there so you can revisit them every once in a while, just, you know, in case the old self shows up again, bury it, get rid of it, purge it, take it out to the garbage. It's done. It's as valuable as the family who brought old grandma up out of the grave to dress her up. Absolutely worthless. If anything, if anything, it's creepy. It's gross. It really is. And I've seen this with guys. I've seen this with guys. I've shared this story before, and I'll begin to end with this, that there was a guy a number of years ago who was dying and wanted me to go through his house and find all of his stuff. He had magazines. He had stuff. And I had to go in with a garbage bag. He drew me a map. I threw the stuff away. In the next several days, two different people from his family I don't, neither one of them lived there, by the way. And two different people from his family stopped me and thanked me for doing They already knew that stuff was there. They already knew, why was he hiding it? They already knew it was there. And there was one particular item that I was never able to find to the, I, I tried, I couldn't find it. I believe someone in his family found it before I did and, and, and got rid of it. That's how they'll remember that guy. At some point, someone will go through your stuff. They'll go through your stuff and they'll find out what is real and what is fake. And they'll go through your stuff and they're going to eventually throw it away. Why not do it right now? With Matthew, he said, the old is gone. This is the new Matthew. This is how I live now. I follow Jesus. One of the best parts of this whole thing is, this is the guy that wrote Matthew. He said, yep, that was me. That was me. I had no clue what I was doing. Immediately I got up, I followed Jesus. You know what? I've never stopped following Jesus. Man, I want that to be your story. I want that to be my story as well. Amen. Take a look at that. Matthew chapter 9. I'll talk to you in a little bit.